So, good evening, everyone. Any uh, questions tonight? Um, last night you were talking about um, that one needed adhikar in order to engage in smaranam. So, um, just by hearing and chanting and engaging in one's sadhana, is that how one develops the adhikar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just for those who don't understand the, the terminology, adhikar means eligibility. Hmm? So um, um, a certain degree of eligibility is required to participate in anything. Um, you have to be trained to play football professionally or to teach in school or to enter school. Hmm? Uh, not everybody's eligible to go to the prestigious Appalachian. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? Uh, Appalachian State. Appalachian State. <laughs> um, so, as for example, um, so with regard to spirituality, then um, there are different levels of eligibility. Anyone can participate, but. Um, Participation may be determined. The extent of it, the nature of it, um, uh, should be determined by our uh, eligibility. <clears throat> there are, as with any subject, I suppose, there are undergraduate, graduate, and postgraduate uh, um, courses, if you will, and, and corresponding, in this context, spirituality practices. Um, and knowing one's eligibility is uh, is um, very becoming. To not know one's eligibility is unbecoming. That hmm? it, it can be not very beautiful. Um, people try to enter into an area of discourse and uh, practice and whatnot that they're not eligible for. It it stands out and. So, uh, the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, for example, is full of this idea of eligibility. Arjuna is taught, Krishna is speaking to Arjuna at different stages, he says, you're only eligible for this, you're only eligible for this. Hmm? Gradually we see he's qualifying him hmm? more and more. Finally, he has eligibility for bhakti, which requires only the... the, uh, the uh, Faith in its efficacy, hmm? um, but it may take some time to awaken that. And faith here means faith in the argument coming from revelation from the sacred texts, faith in its, uh, its basic argument and the development of the argument, and so on and so forth. Um, so Bhagavad Gita is 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 full of different a discussion of different paths. But it's properly understood. It's not a book you just open up and, oh, here's one path or another path, and all paths lead to the same place. Um, kind of all roads lead to Rome, uh, not necessarily. And as we spoke tonight, well, the karma path does not lead beyond birth and death. The path of action, um, as it's understood in the Gita, the path of knowledge does lead beyond birth and death. But... Um, 
into a kind of a um, inactive, um, transcendent state. Peace is one thing. The life of karma is a life of war, so to speak. We're kind of at war with one another. We're taking from what resources are available because we have a sense that we need to maintain ourself, and ourself is thought of as a body and a biological, psychological complex. And, and so we're, we're struggling for existence. So it's, we're hunting and we're being hunted at the same time. So to come from war to peace, that's progress. So to go from karma, which is really about action, um, again, in relation to things that don't endure, attachment, which uh, we're attached to things we can't keep, that's a recipe for unhappiness, ultimately, even though we think they're making us happy because they don't endure. It's a recipe for unhappiness, ultimately. So from war, anyway, to peace. But peace is not the full picture. You need peace and love, both. Hmm? So peace is inside of love, but love is not necessarily inside of peace. We'd have a peaceful life, but not a loving life, necessarily. So one might question whether love has peace inside of it, but it does, actually. There's a... a, So anyway, so bhakti, karma, bhakti. Hmm. These are different paths. Yoga, it's mentioned in the Gita, a certain type of yoga, mystic yoga, ashtanga yoga. So there's bhakti mixed with with karma, bhakti mixed with yoga, bhakti mixed with gyan, gyan mixed with bhakti, karma mixed with bhakti, the other way around, mm-hmm. yoga mixed with bhakti. All these things are mentioned in the Gita. Mm-hmm. But if you study carefully, it's really only talking about one thing. And one of the ways in which we determine that is to what the book is about, or any book, is you look at the beginning and see what it says. You look at the end, which should correspond. Just like if I write a book, I'm going to write an introduction. Hmm? And then I'm going to write a conclusion, and they're going to have some correspondence between them. And so you could guess that what's in between is is the playing out in detail of what's in the introduction and what's in the conclusion. And whatever that is, essentially, it's going to be repeated here and there throughout the book. So what's in the beginning, what's in the end, what's repeated throughout. The, this is there's a system like this in, in Indian. Um, um, in Hinduism, for understanding the meaning of a book. So in the Gita, for example, it begins, uh, there's, there's a number of beginnings, but Krishna's discourse begins in the chap- second chapter, and he says, What? Asochan, Anvasochan, Scham, Pragnavadam, Shabasase, Katasuma, Katasucha, Nanu, Sochanti, Pandita. He said, you're all worried about so many things. What will happen? What will happen? This? What will happen? That? If I do this, that will happen? What will that? If I do the war, what will happen to people? And uh, what about religion and all these things? He's worried. Arjun's worried. And what does Krishna say? You're a fool for worrying. There's nothing to worry about. Don't worry. pandita. Learn the people. Don't worry. Don't worry. In the end of the Gita, what does Krishna say? He says, same thing. He says, don't worry. He says, 
Sarvadharman prityaja mamekam saranam raja hamtvam sarvapapipil mokchayishami masucha. Masucha, nasochanti, same thing. Don't worry. Hmm. He explains it a little further in the end. He says, take shelter of me hmm, exclusively in, in bhakti and anything else that you think might be, you might be culpable for not attending to, hmm, that you should have done, or things that you do in the course of devotion that other systems may say you shouldn't have done, don't worry, there will be no repercussions. Hmm? Um, you come to the end of the food chain here, or the top of the food chain, <laughs> he's saying. So I've got everything covered just in one fail, fail sweep, swoop, swoop. What's it called? One fell swoop. One fell swoop. <laughs> I've never had that suit before. It's a swoop. Oh yeah. <laughs> One fell swoop. So, <laughs> so everything is accomplished. No problem. Don't worry. This is his message. And of course, that's played out in greater detail. What it means to be learned, pundit, and thereby don't worry, and what it means to take shelter of him, and how that is to be wise and so forth. And so throughout the Gita we find verses like Ananyaschintayantomam yejana paripasate etesham nityabhyuktanam yoga chema bahamiham We find manmanabhavamadbhakto madhyajimam namaskuru mamebhashasi satyam te pratijani priyosime patram pushpam palam toyam yome bhakti prayajati tadaham bhakti paritamashnami prayatatpana these verses occur throughout, throughout. They're all talking about ananya bhakti, unadulterated bhakti, exclusive bhakti exclusively for, for Bhagavan, for God. Hmm. Um, so this is a recurring theme. Hmm. And it is in that that there are no worries. Hmm. No worries. In bhakti, there are no worries. Hmm. Material world, they're full of worries. By bhakti, in some measure, we can gain release from the world and 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 not worry. And if, in full measure, we take to bhakti, then we can enter into the full embrace of Bhagwan. And no worries turns into plays itself out in a positive, loving relationship with the absolute. So. So at any rate, the point is that there are many things mentioned in the Gita, but it, it, it really is saying one thing, and it's speaking about that one thing. It's one uh, principle advocacy directly and indirectly. So sometimes it directly speaks about the virtues of bhakti, and sometimes it indirectly speaks about the virtue of bhakti, virtues of bhakti by, by comparison, by contrast, through speaking about other disciplines. So it's contrasted with karma, it's contrasted with jnana, it's contrasted with yoga, it's contrasted with mixtures of unalloyed bhakti, it's contrasted with mixtures of yoga, mishra bhakti, karma, mishra bhakti, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, um, and eligibility for the different paths are mentioned and whatnot. Hmm? They all require faith and something else. Bhakti, by contrast, requires only the requisite faith. Hmm? Nothing else. Nothing from this side. Hmm? Um, And faith comes from that side. 
It comes from up to down. We live in a world of doubt, no doubt. So there must be a world of faith also, where doubt is not present. And everyone is moving freely, because when there's doubt, then we hesitate, right? Naturally, it's understandable, for good reason. Hmm? Intelligence is also for doubting. Hmm? That's in, in, that also, however, speaks of its, its limits in terms of its capacity to satisfy the self, because the doubting self is one who's not, is proceeding with caution. Hmm? And we don't want our end game, our, we don't want to arrive at a life that is um, one in which we proceed with caution. We want to move freely, happily, without any worries, right? Without any concerns, like home life, where everything's good. I'm home I'm with my friends, something like that. So faith comes from beyond doubt, and it's tangible because it removes doubt. And here we're talking about divine faith. There's other lesser types of faith, obviously. But divine faith comes from up to down. The bearers of that faith are the sharers of that faith. Naturally, it's contagious. And so by good association, we develop eligibility for bhakti in the form of faith in its efficacy, the path itself. And then we're eligible to tread the path of bhakti. If you want to tread the path of yoga, astanga yoga, for example, you obviously need faith in the path, otherwise how are you going to apply yourself? That's in a general sense of faith. But you also need other things. You have to be able to sit and not too high and not too low. As explained in the Gita. Hmm? You have to be celibate, as the Gita explains, Astanga Yoga means you have to be, have celibacy, brahmacharya, hmm? and many other things are mentioned there. Hmm? And so, with the other paths, there are faiths in general is required. Krishna in the Gita says in the 17th chapter that a person is his or her faith. Hmm? We are our faith, our faith defines us, so to speak. So maybe faith in the, in the in the mode of ignorance, goodness, passion, hmm? and, and then there may be divine faith. So to tread any path, some measure of faith is there. A, a genuine spiritual path, some measure of sattvic faith or rajasic faith. There are paths that are rajasic that are where the understanding of consciousness and matter is blurred, not clear the difference between the two. Hmm? And there are practices that come out of that, you know, like the European classical music, it's coming out of the Rajaguna, not the Sattvaguna. Hmm? Just to give you an example. Why? Because the understanding there is what Beethoven and such is, is and it's not clear the difference between consciousness and matter. Hmm? It's not good for Kirtan, that kind of music. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, we get divine faith, it comes from up to down, and faith in Krishna, specifically, enables us to tread the path of Krishna Bhakti. We don't need any other qualification. However, there's different levels of practice, right? 
So to do kirtan, it's pretty obvious that you don't need any qualification. In fact, the truth about bhakti is you don't even need faith. Hmm? That's the higher truth. This is explained beautifully by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his commentary, the second verse of the Bhagavatam. Dharma projita kaita votra paramoni matsaranam satam vedam vastava matravastu shibaram tapitrayon mulanam shibad bhagavate mahamuni kritekim bhaparishvara sadyo hrdayavarudhitetra kitibihi sufi subhis takshanad. Simply by hearing this, hmm, one gets involved and he explains even without faith, what to speak of with faith. He goes below the, the, the general um, standard of qualification. And it's a fact. Like I said, the ears are pretty much always open. So you could hear the kirtan, hear the discourse, and 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 uh, even, even non-humans can hear the kirtan. Right? And so there's some benefit there with their atma... So, it's very generous, anyway, the path of bhakti. That said, kirtan is the way in which the Godhead most readily makes himself available in the form of his name. He goes anywhere and everywhere, even uninvited. You know the story that Pujapat Sridharmarsh used to tell, there were two policemen in India. And uh, they were sitting up one night doing the watch, you know, night, night, night watchman gig, and uh, one said to the other, said, you know, it's really too bad that our God, Krishna, is a thief, because Krishna's childhood pastimes, he steals butter and yogurt and, and things like this, and he's rather um, misbehaved in many ways. Of course, you have to philosophize about it properly, because if one, if if a, if a, I own everything, if everything belongs to me and everything comes from me, and then I steal, that's obviously just play, hmm? right? You follow? So, and of course, lila means the play of God. I'll explain it briefly. Some of you have heard my explanation. One of them. There is something beyond some type of knowing that, that transcends omniscience. Omniscience means all knowing. But omniscience might sound like a good thing to attain, an omnipresence. But with omniscience and omnipresence, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. Because if you're already omnipresent, you're already everywhere. There's nowhere to go now. If you're already omniscient, you already know everything, so it takes the fun out of doing anything. You already know what's going to happen. So it's kind of a frozen position. So the omniscient Godhead is still, we call it Brahman, that face of the Godhead. But Krishna, as we know, is is, is moving. So it means that, that in order to overcome the problem of omniscience and omnipresence, which is boredom, then what do you do when you're bored? You play. You make something up. So this is what we call Leela, the play of the Godhead. And he who's everywhere and knows everything is moving and appears not to know whether or not Radha really loves him. Hmm? That is called Leela. Hmm? And he plays with those who uh, who have uh, a deep love for him, want to know him in unintimate terms, want no distance between God and themselves. Hmm? Something like that. The most lovable object 
let me make a divine union with 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 the Godhead. Hmm. So, um, so what is it? So, so the two. So one policeman says to the other, "It's really a problem that our God is a thief." Because so many stories in the literature about Krishna's childhood leelas and so forth, this is all in the in the meditative realm. But he's a thief. He, 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 and so he says, you know, we're trying to teach the people don't steal, and our God's a thief. But the other one said, no, that's not a problem. That's a good thing. He said, what are you talking about? He said, it's good thing because thieves, robbers, they do not care for high walls and locked doors, right? They go in anyway. And Krishna, who's non-different from his name, goes over the high walls and breaks through the locked door we've erected around our heart. He goes anyway, steals in there in the form of his name, with the divine logos. He goes aggressively. Even though we may not be interested, he goes anyway. And what does he do there? What is, what is the, what is the Krishna, Krishna Nam, the name of Krishna? What does he do when he enters into your heart? Hmm? He becomes a sweeper. God becomes a sweeper. In India, there used to be a class of people called the sweepers. That was their duty. They just swept the streets. Hmm? So, to be a sweeper, it's, it's, not a, it's a humble job, let's put it like that. <laughs> so God... God, in the form of Krishna, in the form of his name, Krishna in the form of his name, becomes a sweeper. What is he sweeping? He goes into the heart where there's so many shops set up, so many mega corporations have set up shop there. It's a buy me, get me, I want this, you should have this, you should have that. All these desires in the heart, like big, big, luminous billboard signs, Multicultural, multinational corporations have set up shop in your heart. Hmm? You could be this. You could have that. You could dress like this and be that kind of person. You could. You should have this. You should do that. You should buy this. And so our heart is cluttered with all of these uh, opportunities, desires, or what so it appear broadcasting themselves. Of course, the secret is it's just just like the Wizard of Oz. You know the story of the Wizard of Oz. Hmm? You know, there's big lights and just some guy there, you know, (laughs) making some, pressing some dials. They're they're really all offering the same thing, just dressed up in a different way. Hmm? Right? How to eat, how to sleep, how to protect yourself, how to mate. Hmm? The whole fashion industry for, for the sake of mating. It just comes down to the same thing. It said that the prostitute only has one thing to offer her customer, but she dresses it up in a different way, and so he thinks there's something different there every time. It's the same thing. Same thing. Puna punas charvita charvananam. Prahlad Bhakta, he described the material world as chewing the chewed, doing the same things over and over again, just mixing it up. It's the same basic thing. You're just kind of packaging it. I like to say that America's contribution to the world is packaging. Hmm? It's packaging the thing. It's the same thing. You get it everywhere. Hmm? Packaging. 
makes it look like there are more opportunities, more opportunities, more opportunities. Do the same thing in a slightly nuanced way. Hmm? I've given the example many times. Prabhupada used to say, my Guru Maharaj, that, that, that dog is running on four legs and barking and man is driving on four wheels and blowing the horn. What is the difference? It's a kind of a reference to the 50s in America where guys would get their license, drive the, blow the horn at, at girls on the street. Hey, baby! Beep, beep. Check my Thunderbird out, you know. <laughs> I'm a Thunderbird. It was a kind of the thing, you know. And she would think, he's a Thunderbird. I'm going to be with a Thunderbird. <laughs> and we're going to just fly off, you know, like lightning in the sky. It's going to be hot, you know. So, if the dog is barking, looking for the mate, and his whole thing, his intelligence is used to make a car, to drive around, to find girls, you know, I mean... It's, uh, my Guru Maharaj once, I was young, 25 years old, I had just taken sannyas, the renounced order, and, and uh, I was sitting with him in New York, and uh, I was in the 11th story of this building that had been purchased by his mission, and he said to me, he said, have you seen the New York women? And I thought, he's testing me or something like that, I'm not supposed to be, you know, like womanizing or anything, I'm a, a monk. And I saw, and he, and then, and he just went on. He said, "They're so charming, hmm? and uh, beautiful." And then he just kept talking and talking. He said, "And, and, the, all, they've captivated the men, and all these buildings are going up. Hmm? The whole thing is it's all based on this, this attraction between man and woman. The woman is attracting man. Man is working hard. And, you know, it was a, it was a way of talking about it. And time's gone by, perhaps, but." Truth is there. And the whole thing. He said, "All this. This is this is Maya, Vishnu Maya, the illusion, the, the illusory world of God." And I thought, "Wow, that was fascinating." And he's totally absorbed. Women are so beautiful, but he's thinking in a whole different way about it. It's it's magical how the attraction between the sexes is making this whole thing go on. And he's basically saying it is at the bottom. There's not much much difference to it than what you find in the animal world. If we use our intelligence to do more or less and pursue more or less the same thing as the animals, what differentiates us from them? Is that what intelligence is for? Just to be a big animal? Hmm? Or is it meant to be used for something else? sorting out its own limitations and so forth, for example, right? Hmm? So that's why we say human life, what really it's really meant, meant for is for spiritual pursuit because that's the thing that you cannot directly do in any other species of life. Hmm? Every other species of life can do everything that we can do with our intelligence. You could say, well, wait a minute, tigers can't fly to the moon. It's not about flying to the moon, it's about means of conveyance. They've got legs. Hmm? They can jump and run. So they can get around. Hmm? It's not categorically different to have different extended motor functions and go longer distances. And the difference will be determined by what you do on Mars. You could say Columbus was, you know, sailed across America, the ocean. Deers can't sail across the ocean. 
No, they can't, but they can move around. So you're also moving around. It's just basically the same thing. And what will you do when you get to America? Well, we'll go kill the Indians. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> so, okay, that's basically what a tiger might do, too, uh, when he got there. Uh, you, you'll do this. You, you'll eat, sleep, mate, defend. So a glorified, extended life of sense indulgence and and the idea of increasing the duration of the life. For what? It's the quality of the life that's important. And it could be qualitatively different if we use our God-given abilities to pursue God. That's different. That's a different thing. You cannot do that in less complex forms of life. So, Anyway, the one policeman said, so it's good that our God is a thief because in the form of his name he enters into the heart where we've erected high walls and locked doors and we're protecting and he goes in anyway. He takes the position of a sweeper and he sweeps there. He is he set up a shop and he's selling brooms. All these mega corporations are in the heart there. They've got all these neon lights and they're amazing. Eh, what, what would be oh, if you buy this, if you get that, do this, do that. Ah. It's all just a show. Hmm? We're enamored by the show. Meanwhile, Krishna comes and opens a store in heart and he's selling brooms. Hmm? Have, have a broom? A broom? I could be getting... I could be flying to Mars. And you want to sell me a broom? Okay, I'll take one. Whatever. You know, poor guy. So, And then you sweep. It's a magic broom. Hmm? So this is what the kirtan of Krishna Nam does first. Hmm? It's a magic broom. And just a little movement of that broom, it cleanses the dust. Where's the dust go? The dust goes up and starts to block out those neon signs by all the mega multi-corporations in the heart. It starts to dim the lights there. And meanwhile, underneath the dust is a jewel of yourself. That, as we said earlier, is not a thing. It's not a thought more than anything or more than any thought and it's you and you're beautiful in ways that you could never be by the decorating yourself with the latest fashions makeup and hair replacements or whatever you know is available out there to make you beautiful um, I just saw a, 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 a story about um, Middle Eastern girls in America are upset um, and and starting to to blog about the fact that they're they are not depicted often enough in the popular sector of the media in, when beautiful women are presented, and so they're they're growing up thinking that they're not pretty. Hmm. I thought it was pretty sad. Hmm. Pretty sad. You understand? Not that they weren't, because they weren't there, but that that, that was what beauty is sought to be. Hmm? Hmm. Right? You, Krishna says, as as an atma, oh, you're more beautiful than anything or any thought, any arrangement of things, anything that you could think about. Hmm? So the, the the cleansing does two things. It starts to dim the lights of other prospects. Hmm? 
where the, the dust is clouding that, and then the, the self starts to shine out what it means to be consciousness rather than matter. Hmm. So this is what happens to us in bhakti when we have eligibility, right, adhikar, faith, to chant. Hmm. Even before we have faith, the name may go in, start to do some sweeping. But if we buy a broom from him, right, then do a little, engage ourselves consciously then, much more, much more readily this will happen. So by the kirtan, the first thing that happens is the heart becomes cleansed. Now, before the heart is sufficiently cleansed, those neon signs of other upper, upper desires are, are, are occupying us. Hmm? And so, while you can do kirtan, and even when your mind might be distracted, you cannot meditate and think about something else at the same time. It's just not possible. So our ability, our eligibility, our adhikar to do meditation is, is, is there is greater adhikar or eligibility required to do meditation than to do kirtan. It's just very practical. Anyone can, who has the faith can, in good, good association, can take to the rag marg. But within this path, until the heart is sufficiently cleansed, it would be difficult and almost a folly to try to um, um, fully em- embrace this central focus of Ragmar, the Smarnam's med- meditation. Hmm? You can do Nam meditation, meditate on the name and try to pay attention and so forth. Hmm? You can remember Krishna's pastimes. Obviously you try to do that, but to actually sit and, 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 and do Leela Smarnam, hmm? this requires a cleansed heart to do it effectively. So that's an example of how there is a greater degrees of eligibility required for embracing the, all of the practices. It will come in time. So your question is, well, how will I get that eligibility? And, and the answer is yes, that Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he made a famous statement. He said, Kirtana Prabhavi Smarana Swabhavi, in his poem, Vaishnav K. Vaishnav K. Who is a Vaishnav? He said, oh, Dushtaman Tumikishe Vaishnav. My dear mind, what kind of Vaishnav are you? Sitting in a, in a lonely place, hmm? like Haridas Thakur, chanting, but your mind is, is, is being distracted towards women and money and other things, men and worldliness. Hmm? You should get up from there. And don't be hypocritical and imitate something that you don't have eligibility for, and do kirtan. Hmm? And kirtan has different expressions. So there's the actual chanting, or this is kirtan. I'm doing kirtan, you're doing shravana, hearing. Hmm? His idea was, take go and try to explain these ideas to people. That will occupy your mind. Hmm. Oh, how will I answer that question? And to somebody, you know, where is she at? Where is he at? What? what how much do they already know? How can I try to explain it in such a way? That will very have great capacity to occupy your mind. Hmm? When the mind becomes fully occupied, that's meditation, right? Hmm? So that will so the kirtan itself will foster the eligibility for meditation. And Mahaprabhu Shitanadev says Chetutarpana Marsha, the beginning result of the chanting is the cleansing of the heart.
of these desires, and it's then proportionately, in measure, you have the capacity, the eligibility to, to, um, to effectively engage in lila-smaranam, guna-smaranam, so forth. So that's the way. He said, kirtana prabhavi smarana by the power of kirtan, hmm, smaranam, on one's svabhav, Ideals will, will, will come of its own course naturally. The power of kirtan will bring it about. Hmm? Does that answer your question? Yeah. So, yes. Um, we had a question about Hari Oh, yeah, Prabhupada refers to that as the Mahamantra. And I think Krishna Naskaviraj also refers to Hari Harai Nama Krishna Yadavaya Namaha Gopal Govindadam Sri Mahu Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly what the yeah, so, was. It was just that he wanted you to learn. Well, I can say this that that uh, is coming from um, Vrindavan Das Thakur. Krishna Das, we are now. Uh, in, we have been in the evenings, this is a slight departure today from that, discussing the Chaitanya Charjami. We're in the eighth chapter now, where Krishnadas is describing how he came, his confessional, how he came to write the Chaitanya Charjami, which is kind of a follow-up of his earlier confessional in the fifth chapter, where he says, I got Nityananda Prabhu sent me to Vrindavan and said their desires would be fulfilled. So now he's, he's telling what, 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 what happened, how he came to write the book. Chaitanya Charitamrita. And in the course of starting to tell that, we haven't gotten this part yet, he, over several verses, he defers to Brindavan Das Thakur, who he says is the author of Chaitanya Mangal, which Chaitanya Bhagavad was previously called. Hmm? Chaitanya Mangal. Lavishly he praises him and defers to him um, and, and depicts himself as just this saying a few other things little extra, adding a little bit, like a footnote, to what Vrindavan Das has said, something like that, very humbly. Hmm? And um, so, it's there, in Chaitanya Bhagwat, in Vrindavan Das's book, that Mahaprabhu, through the pen of Vrindavan Das, speaks, and this is, of course, a, based on the accounts of Marari Gupta and so forth, that he had uh, access to, witness accounts of the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Nadia. Hmm? That he regularly chanted this Hari Harai, Nama Krishna Yadavai, Nama Gopal Govindaram, Sri Madhusudan, and so forth. Um, so it comes from there. So Krishnadas follows that, um, and Prabhupada as well. At the same time, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also in Chaitanya Bhagavad told his disciples to chant this Mahamantra Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari. And anyone, I won't eat from anyone's hand who hasn't chanted that name a hundred thousand times in a day. This is his statement. So, so um, and that said, the idea that the Hare Krishna mantra is sixteen-syllable mantra is uh, the Ma mantra, or that it has special efficacy in the times in which we live, is also um, stated in the Shruti in the Upanishads. So we can differentiate it and give it more um, um, 
um, underscore it more or, or differentiate it from the other version of names of Krishna chanting. Because in the Shruti it said, you, you're probably aware of it, it is mentioned, that itisodasakam namna kalikalmashanashanam. Sarvabhedeshu, Vishyate, all the Vedas say, these 16 syllables chanted in Kali Yuga will, will um, deliver one from its uh, its effects. What are those 16? And it says, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Same ma- uh, Mahamantra is mentioned in the, in the, in the, uh, I, in two Puranas, I think in the, maybe the Brahma Purana, Agni Purana, two different Puranas. So, it's, it's Vedic mantra in this sense. Hmm? Whereas Hariharai and Namakrishna, these are just names of Krishna. I don't want to say just, but I mean, they're names of Krishna. And the particular um, jingle, if you will, that they put together, is, it seems to have been one that was popular with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Enough that Vrindavan Das mentions it. I mean, he also chanted other names of Krishna and he teaches in the Shikshastakam, that Krishna has many names, they're all filled with power, his Shakti, and so forth. But um, apparently, we can draw from this, that this was a popular chant on the part of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The Mahamantra of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, also has a number of commentaries written on it. Jiva Goswami wrote a commentary on it. Um, Vishwanath Chakritaka wrote a commentary on it. Um... There are others too, I can recall, uh, a number of commentaries. So they've given a lot of emphasis to it. The commentaries are very um, esoteric. Um, um, also, uh, Rupa Goswami has written Astakam of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, describing as him as chanting Hare Krishna, with a, with a rope with knots on it as he walked to Puri out loud, he said, chanting. So there's quite a bit more um, prior to the tradition in the Puranas, as I say, and in the, in the Upanishads about this, this Hare Krishna Mahamantra and after or during the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Now, it's not, it's not mentioned... Uh, in that way in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. That's true. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna. I don't think it comes up, comes in Chaitanya Charitamrita directly. Hmm? But he does refer to Parakanam instead of Tarakanam, hmm? um, which is thought to be the case with the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. That has the power to not only deliver one, but to subdue Krishna, to overwhelm Krishna in a way that Samartarati does, like the gopis of Vrindavan. So, um, but that aside, I mean, I say the the Goswamis have written directly about the Mahamantra, and they have not written in the same way about Hariharai and Amakrishna. So I would think about it and give the weight to the Hare Krishna Mantra in consideration of that. Does that help? Yeah, we sure do. We do that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just how mentioned in the purport. This
should always be sung in kirtan, especially kirtans in Mayapur. And I was wondering if you well, one thing about that. I know one thing about that, yeah. That um, Prabhupada, <laughs> well, Prabhupada was uh, not, uh, was concerned that his disciples would not turn the spiritual affair of chanting just into a musical affair. And there are a number of professional kirtaneers, as you know, throughout Bengal, and they would do kirtan and so forth, and real good at it musically and so forth. And then afterwards they would smoke and drink or whatever. So, so it's they have to. It's a, yes, one has to give one's heart and so on and so forth. And uh, um, even it's said that Bhakti Siddhanta would sometimes chant. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard this story out of key. And make his disciples listen. So you know, they, they, they wouldn't just think it was just a musical affair. Hmm? Hmm. So to hear the, the transcendental enter into the the sound, right? Hmm? Uh, yeah, if they, off key from Goloka is, is, is on key here, so it's off key. Hmm? Uh, so comparatively, so. Uh, you know, I mean, Narada Muni in his previous life said, Kirtan seems a little funky. And I'm a Gandharva, and like we do music here, and these guys are clank, 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 clack, clack, clack. You know, so he <laughs> criticized, and he had to fall from that situation. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so he was concerned that his disciples, and then you get these professional Kirtaneers, Kirtaneers, it's a, it's a very much a musical show. Hare, goes for like five minutes at Krishna. So he didn't like that very much, um, and he didn't want to see his disciples get distracted. And so there in Mayapur, there are all these types of kirtans that you could go and you could record, and all different ways of doing kirtan, and different names, and so on and so forth. And his Western students, especially his American students, he he felt that they were always like, you know, trying to change things. You know, Americans always trying to make it better, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, and so he didn't want, he he sought to kind of dampen that that spirit. And so he said he didn't, he didn't want all this coming into the kirtans there in Mayapur. So he said, Hare Krishna, and this Hare Harai, Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Bas, that's all, something like that. And that is the spirit um, behind it, one year they had uh, they had a kirtan competition hmm, that they arranged. I don't know if you were there for that, but they arranged a kirtan competition, and they had all these Bengali groups came and did kirtan, and then the different temples from Iskon came with their kirtan. They had a stage, and also they had a whole an Agni Dave's group from Laguna Beach won, you know, by the judges' standards. I don't know how the Bengalis. You know, I don't think they were any on the, on the team on on the, on the judging. You know, on the who's what's that show called? You know, one of those American Idol, you know, Kirtan Idol, you know, something like that. So, but Prabhupada stopped it. You know, it went through, and Agni won, and probably wouldn't allow it anymore. He didn't want that kind of a kind of a thing. So he was he he wanted his disciples would um, not. Um, um, in a situation where they might be dis- distracted from what the, the spirit of the ki- kirtan is. 
Now they take that, you know, some of his disciples very fanatically to an extreme, and um, and then it's as if you chant Jai Radha, you're in Maya, you know, you're a Sahajya, beat him, throw him out of the temple. It's militated against, or they pass a resolution against it. No one can chant the name of Radha because Prabhupada did say that. He could, you know, maybe on John Radhasmi a little bit, you know, something like this. So, so it, it, it can get abused. That's why we need a living sadhus to help us, you know, put things in perspective and, and so forth. I mean, we, we could see, if we could see there wasn't a danger at some point of what Prabhupada perceived early on, then we could change the policy entirely and bring in so many different um, Leela Kirtans for those who have Adhikar and Guna Kirtans. Nah. Um, kirtans describing the Leela. There are some beautiful, so many. Yeah. But you only want a Nam Kirtan. What does it mean that they will never do Leela Kirtan? But first... Nam, and then he restricted certain names and so forth. What else? Yes. Um, I was wondering what Prabhupada meant when he told the disciples that they weren't afraid enough of Maya, because like a lot of his disciples at the time were like in the ashram and everything. It would, it would seem like they're kind of immersed. So, what did he mean by that? Well, first of all, it, it's it's Prahlad that. Um, in the Bhagavatam makes a statement about a healthy fear, a healthy anxiety hmm, as to the, 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 the deluding power and influence of Vishnu Maya. And, and um, that's uh, to know your enemies, so to speak. I mean, that's one way of talking about it, is, uh, is a strength, right? So to know the power of Maya to delude and, and that I'm like a straw in the wind. Hmm, um, in um, um, uh, the wind being the influence of Maya, and, so, and not to be sufficiently aware of that um, is a sure recipe for being kind of carried away by the winds of of Maya. Um, so there should be some healthy anxiety that what I'm doing, that some saint of consequence is, um, is um, would would vouch for me or something like that. I'm doing something and then they, uh, uh, that someone of spiritual consequence would would be concerned about it. Okay, uh, would have uh, advised it or something like that. It should be a healthy. Healthy anxiety, um, and, and so your question is: Well, it seemed like there were so many of Prabhupada's disciples living in the temples, and they were really um, kind of militant almost about that. And then he then makes a statement that they were they were didn't have enough fear of Maya. Well, um, yeah, it's a good question, um, but the fact of the matter is. Um, Maya is powerful, even in the temple. <laughs> People get distracted, let to speak of outside. And, and temples can sometimes be more can be more distracted sometimes than not being in the temples. It depends <clears throat> on who's running them or whatever. <laughs> there could be all kinds of problems. But, but um, yeah, I don't know. I was um, 
lived for a few years in Los Angeles and um, and probably used to come there twice a year for like a few months at a time, spring and winter, for like three years. 72, 73, 74, 1975, I took and Before that, I was sent out traveling and so forth, but I spent a couple of years there and probably would come for long periods of time, as I say, in the spring and the fall. And, um, you know, I was pretty focused on what the practice was and so on and so forth, and I assumed everybody else was, and probably was sometimes giving lectures, and I thought, why is he talking about that, you know? That doesn't go on here, but I found that it did, actually. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, from his perspective, uh, um, he felt that that uh, that they weren't sufficiently afraid of Maya, at least en- enough of them, that his, he, he would have a concern. He would suffer for that. He would be, he would have concern for them, I mean. He would be concerned. Hmm. Um, So, obviously there were many good devotees, but people were also getting distracted at times. It's a long story. (laughs) It's God's history. You you don't know it all. (laughs) But there were some, you think, yeah, there were some distracted people. (laughs) For sure. Well, yeah, in the long run, you can see it now. Hmm? They're not. So maybe it was a forecast for the future. Hmm? They're still his disciples, but they're not sufficiently concerned. Hmm. And so they're like straws blowing in the wind. You need to hold on. Somebody, <laughs> the bhakti latte's called, it's like, it means like a vine. So our, our spiritual culture is like a vine needs to hold on, the point is, to, to, to a tree, a pole, or something. Hold on, and then and it can grow up. Something that's not going to be blown. And the guru means, one, ter- one translation is heavy, it means not, he or she is not blown in the winds of different thoughts and ideas and arguments, grounded, anchored in the teaching and in the application of the teaching. So that he or she guru is someone they can hold on to. Not get blown away, and you can say, "He blows me away, in the right direction." <laughs> but also, so <clears throat> don't be surprised that the devotees leave, but be surprised that the devotees stay. One, 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 one disciple asked Prabhupada, "Prabhupada, how come so many big devotees are leaving?" He said, "Big devotees don't leave." Next question. <laughs> Someone might have some position of administration and whatnot. It doesn't necessarily mean they're advanced either. Hmm. There's one fellow who he's out in Prabhupada Village, and he he always says that that um, he disagreed. So I think with Prabhupada's choice of managers, the people he chose to be managers weren't good weren't good qualified managers. My response so is probably didn't choose, but some people like that's what the, their bob is. They're going to manage. That's what they're like. So you just deal with it. Okay, that's what I got. These guys are coming forward. They're ready to do something. Other people are good too, but they're just like, what do I do? Tell me what to do. That's not bad. That's fine. But 
they need to be managed by somebody. So somebody's got this management propensity. Okay, you be the manager, you know. But then he thinks, see, I'm spiritually advanced because I'm the manager. That may not be the case. But what can you do? Right? You've got to organize things. Just wanted to uh, ask. In in Christianity, there's a group of uh, uh, kind of religionists, and they're always saying the devil everywhere. They're almost saying the devil more than God. So how Maya? Sometimes people equate the two. I mean, I'm, I understand obviously, but for benefit of our audience, Maya is it a, it's not a person with a. Uh, pitchfork or something, you know, people sometimes equate the idea of evil and Maya is a, it's a very interesting concept, actually. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's um, a similar concept to the to the devil, a deluding influence or something like that. The temp the temp the tempter the forbidden fruit something like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a little more developed. The concept is much more philosophically developed than you find in, in Christ- Christianity, for example. And then, then it's Christianity tends to be personified in a way that seems very facile and difficult for educated people to really embrace. But the principle is 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 similar idea to the Maya principle, and in Hinduism you get a very intellectual type of a well reasoned explanation of this influence and uh, um, and how to overcome it. What else? What time is it? Twenty to seven. Twenty to seven. We'll take a quick question. I want to st- don't go too long because some of our guests have to travel distance tonight. Faith is sometimes referred to as a queen or Shraddha Devi. Well, you wanted a short answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> It's a short question is what you meant. It doesn't necessarily mean the answer will be long. Well, you know, I mean, I think that um, we poetically, you know, tend to personify everything in Hinduism. Pujapad Sridhar Bharsh once said, faith is the halo of Radharani. Hmm? It illumines. Hmm? It illumines. And, and faith illumines. Faith clears doubt, so now you can go proceed. Hmm. So, um, I'll give a short answer like that. <laughs> okay, nice to sit with you. And all right, CC Goradamana Bhakti Jai, CC Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai, Bhakti Rakshakshita Deva Swami Maharaj Ki Jai, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur Prabhupada Ki Jai, Bhakti Vinod Paribar Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanandi.